but it's not the less familiar that's good. It's the fact that God speaks it to us. Uh, so let's ask God uh, to be at work uh, through his powerful word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you delight to save. We thank you that you delight uh, to work in and mold and transform your people. Uh, Father, please do be at work by your spirit uh, as we hear you speak your word. Uh, Please do uh, tune our heads and hearts and sow our lives uh, to the reality of Uh, who your son is, of what he's done, of what he will do, uh, to the reality of uh, the world we live in and of all that is. Through the Lord Jesus. Amen. Our experience of God can feel distant. Been around the Bible for a while, maybe knowing about God and knowing about Jesus. Uh, Maybe that's a box you feel like you can tick, you know about. Uh, If you can't yet, uh, then stick around. I think um, as we read the Bible together, you'll get to where you can tick and say, yeah, I think I know some significant things about Jesus and about God. But experience, what does that mean? What does it mean to not not just know about Jesus, but to know Jesus? The Apostle Peter, who wrote this letter, he spent years with Jesus. He knew him. He had walked around. He had seen Jesus do things, talked with Jesus. But he speaks about us knowing Jesus. He spoke to his first hearers who had never met Jesus about them knowing him. He said to them, he described their faith as equally precious as his. What does it mean for us to not just know about Jesus, but to know Jesus? In this passage, uh, we hear why Peter has the urgency that he does uh, through this letter. Peter knows his death is soon. Uh, Verse 14, he says, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Uh, The evidence outside the Bible is that he died somewhere between AD uh, 64 and AD 67. AD 64 was when most of Rome was destroyed in a great fire. Uh, Many suspected that the Emperor Nero had started the fire for his own entertainment. Uh, He looked around for someone else to blame and he chose the Christians. And years of intense persecution began. Uh, With uh, state-sponsored authority, Christians were killed. The best evidence is that Peter was in Rome at the time. As a public preacher of Christ, he didn't need a new word from Jesus to see that his end was near. In verse 14, he's almost certainly hinting at what the risen Lord Jesus told him before Jesus ascended to heaven. Uh, John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, where Jesus said to Peter, uh, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
John says, Jesus was talking about Peter's death. And 30 years later, uh, Peter is old by first century standards. Uh, He knows others have been dressed for death and carried where they do not want him to go. His time is short. But he isn't distressed. Look at how he talks about his death. It's like he's packing up to leave. Uh, the word he uses for departure is exodus. He, he, he knows he's heading for a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You get the sense he doesn't fear death. Dreadful as it is. Death is not part of the circle of life. It, but it's an entry into what's next which for Christ's people is wonderful. It's dreadful because it brings an end to everything we experience in this life and brings an end to all the relationships of this life, which is right to grieve about. But it's wonderful to see the prospect of going to be with Jesus. But leaving brings urgency. Peter knows his death is soon, and that is why He's determined to remind Christ's people of the true gospel. We've heard him begin to do that. Uh, You'll hear that urgency uh, in a moment. But last week we started reading this letter uh, from Peter. Uh, This letter um, to brothers and sisters whose faith in God, whose faith in our God and Savior Jesus Christ is just as precious as Peter's faith. In verse 2, he prayed their knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord would give an always expanding realization of how deeply and generously their loves of God's grace and a, a growing and always expanding realization of the fact that all is well in their relationship with God. Peace. None of that is because all is well in their lives. They need to change. Uh, we know that because verse 3, Peter is talking about how God's powerfully provided for their progress in their knowledge of Christ. They're incomplete. They need to make progress. And Peter calls them to make every effort to fill out their faith with Christian character and love. To fill out practical trust in God who saved with everyday practical trust in God in every aspect of their lives. And as they and we add little by little to our lives we can be sure that our generous Father will add a rich and generous welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, verse 12, because that's reality of where they stand already with God in Christ, and because God has provided for their progress in knowledge of Christ, And because he calls them to diligently pursue progress by leaning into the resource he has provided. And because leaning in will ensure that they keep leaning on the one who holds them. So that they won't fall and they will be richly and generously welcomed into God's eternal kingdom. Because that is the reality about God and Jesus our Lord. Peter wants to remind them of what he has taught. He wants to reassure them about what he has taught. And he wants them to recognize the reliability of the Old Testament. 
Those are the three things uh, today. Uh, Paul wants to remind them of what he has taught. He wants to reassure them about what he has taught. He wants them to recognize the reliability of the Old Testament. Uh, first, he wants to remind them about what he's taught. At verse 12, he intends always to remind you of these things. Uh, most of you are looking at the ASV translation. Uh, our translators uh, have remind you of these qualities. Uh, the original Greek is just these things, and the translators have thought he says things, but he's talking about the qualities. So they've drawn the line back to verses 5 to 7. But I think Peter doesn't just mean those things, 5 to 7. He's talking about everything he's just said in verses 1 to 11. I want to remind you of all of that. He intends to remind Christ's people of the reality of where they stand already with God in Christ, that God has provided for their progress in their knowledge of Christ, uh, that he calls us to diligently pursue progress by leaning into the resource he provides, that leaning in will ensure that we're leaning on the one who holds it up, us up and we won't fall, and that we will be richly and generously welcomed into Christ's kingdom. Peter intends to remind Christ's people of all of it, even though, verse 12, they already know it. They're already established in it, already established in the truth that they have. I think it's helpful to hear him talk about being established and about reminding. It's helpful to hear him say that they're established because uh, what he said and what he's about to say makes us clear there's plenty of room for progress, but they're also established. They're standing firm. They're on the place where they need to be. Don't let Satan or your own insecurity mistake struggles with falling. Don't let Satan or your own insecurities mistake struggling with falling. Established believers continue to need to make every effort at progress. And don't let Satan or your own arrogance make stability an excuse to sit back. Established believers continually need to make every effort at progress. They, we, need to make every effort. We also need effort made for us. In verse 15, Peter says he's going to make every effort. Uh, He's going to be diligent about doing what's most useful for them. The stable who think they're wobbling and the wobbling who think they're stable both need one thing. Verse 12, reminding. Verse 13, to be stirred up by way of reminder. Verse 15, to be able to recall. The one thing we need is the truth that we have. So Peter devotes his last efforts in life to reminding Christ's people of the truth he's already told them. It's fascinating to hear an apostle who's near the end of his days uh, say what he's most eager to do for the people that he's about to leave. He's already said everything that needs to be said. So he's just going to say it again and again and just keep reminding of the same things. It's easy to get most excited about new insights. But if we understand the truth, then what we need is what we already know. 
By all means, <laughs> and there are things to see more clearly. But Peter thinks what we mostly need is to be reminded. Don't despise the time when you sit down to read the Bible and you come away and think, I already thought about those things. It's good to think about them again, to be reminded. Don't only pay attention to what the preacher says to kind of work out, what's the thing I haven't thought about here? What's the new thing? Actually, all the things you've already thought about. That's what you need to hear. You need to hear and expand, but be reminded and grow and get clearer, more knowledge, but clearer on the core. Be reminded. Prize that. Most fundamentally, what we need once we've understood the gospel is to be reminded of the gospel. That's why Peter's every effort at the end of his days is to remind them of what he taught. But reminders aren't much use if they aren't reliable. So Peter wants to reassure them about what he taught. It seems someone's been saying um, the things Peter taught were cleverly devised myths. I reckon that's what half my non-Christian friends uh, think about bits and pieces of the Christian message. Uh, Stories which don't have much to do with what happened in history, but don't suffer in their minds much from the fact that they were just made up. Uh, They're happy for me to think it, or at least happy for me to think at least some of it. And if there are any bits of it that fit with the way they like to think about life, well, then they're happy to borrow. Uh, The story about the tortoise and the hare in a race that never actually happened uh, to reinforce the the value of constantly plotting uh, over occasional effort, they're happy to have that story. And the story about Jesus, uh, Jesus' teaching and talking about love, whether Jesus ever taught it or what Jesus taught about love, doesn't matter. They like that bit. They don't care whether the tortoise and hare ever lined up to race each other. They're not worried about what Jesus actually taught. The stories are just hooks to hang ideas on. Peter's saying, people are saying, Peter speaks cleverly devised myths. Peter says he cares about the truth. They're not just true ideas illustrated with clever myths and stories. He cares about what actually happened. He insists he didn't invent stories to hang ideas on. Peter wants to reassure his hearers about what he taught. It's not just him. He's not the only apostle. Uh, He says about himself and about the other disciple apostles in verse 16, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. His stories aren't invented to illustrate ideas. They're not uh, made-up myth or larger-than-life legends. Peter was there. He saw Jesus' majesty. He wasn't overstating it, who Jesus is in verse 1, when he called Jesus our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He put it that way deliberately because in his younger days he saw Jesus' divine majesty. The sort of splendor, magnificence uh, that pagans imagine that the gods have. The splendor, magnificence that Peter was convinced the living and true and holy God has. He saw 
on Jesus. He's thinking about one particular glimpse of Jesus' divine majesty. Verse 17, 18. When Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, uh, when the voice was carried to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice carried from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. When on earth did, did Peter see the divine majesty of the man Jesus? When he stood with Jesus on that mountain. He calls it a holy mountain because he encountered the living, true, and holy God there. He's talking about the transfiguration. When God in heaven clothed Jesus on earth with visible evidence of his glory and honor. And Peter saw it. When the majestic, glorious God spoke to Jesus and called Jesus his son, his beloved, the one he is well pleased with, and Peter heard it. That's when on earth uh, Peter saw the divine majesty of Jesus. He was there to see and to hear, and he has told what he saw and heard. It's not made-up myth. It's not a cleverly invented story to illustrate ideas. It's the truth about what happened. Peter mentions this glimpse uh, in history of Jesus' honor and glory because it was a glimpse of what will be seen by everyone when Jesus comes in power. He mentions this thing that uh, he is an eyewitness of because it supports his message, which he summarizes in verse 16 as the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He hasn't made up what, what he said about who Jesus is. He hasn't made up what he said about Jesus coming again. The things he saw and heard in history support what he says about the power and future coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it supports it because God picks pieces of ancient prophetic words to put on Jesus. God picked pieces of ancient prophetic words to put on Jesus. Uh, those brief words, uh, they echo Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. Uh, the words, you are my son, echo Psalm 2, where the nations rage, they plot against the Lord and his anointed, his Christ Messiah. And God in heaven says to his Christ, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them like a ro- with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Will the Lord Jesus come in power to judge rebels, to establish his eternal rule? Yes. How do we know? Well, God called Jesus his son, raised him to rule, and Jesus will come to claim his inheritance, as God said. Jesus is God's promised king. And the other words, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased, they echo Isaiah 42, verse 1. For God says through his prophet, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. It's that servant that Isaiah speaks about in chapter 53 of Isaiah. Isaiah 53 verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Did Jesus achieve something? Has the risen Lord Jesus already brought his trusting people into a graced relationship with God in heaven, where they are already at peace with him? 
Would Jesus come to bring his trusting people into his eternal kingdom? Yes. How do we know? God called Jesus his beloved son with whom he is well placed. Jesus is God's promised suffering servant. The words God spoke from heaven echo the prophetic word and tell us Jesus is fulfillment of God's ancient promises. Peter is an eyewitness who tells us what he saw and heard. He wants to remind us of what he taught. He wants to reassure us about what he taught. This is why when he sees death around the corner, he still thinks it's worth the effort to remind about what he's already taught. That's why even beyond his death, he thinks it would be worth our efforts to understand and remember what he teaches. Spoke about the reliability of what he says. He wants to remind about what he says. But he's not the only reliable one. I've mentioned the other prophets. Um, uh, Peter isn't the only reliable witness uh, who was sent and authorized by Jesus. But the focus of what he says next is about the earlier words, the Old Testament. Peter wants us to recognize the reliability of the Old Testament. He calls it the prophetic word in verse 19, the prophecy of Scripture in verse 20. Both uh, are ways to refer to the Old Testament, meaning all of it. He wants us to recognize its reliability. Verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Now, we shouldn't hear him saying that the Old Testament is more reliable than it used to be, more fully confirmed. He's saying that we see its reliability more clearly. It's like before and after receiving a birthday gift that a friend says is just what you need. Imagine a friend calls you up and says they're going to come over and um, a friend calls you up and says, I'm going to come over, I've got a present for you for your birthday and it's just what you need. Now, depending on what you thought of last year's presents, you might be thinking, it's going to be just what I need, or you might be thinking something else. But they arrive, and they say, here it is, and you open it, and it's just what you need. Now, what they said was true, and you realize it's true when you're looking at just what you need. What they said was true all along, but now you see it. It's more fully confirmed as true. The prophetic word was true all along, but now you see it. Now you see how it focuses in on and is fulfilled in our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now you see the absolute reliability of the word that has always been absolutely reliable. It's just that it's more fully confirmed. Because you can see how it's already been fulfilled. God's already given just what we need. It pointed to Jesus. It's been fulfilled by Jesus. It is being fulfilled by Jesus. It will be fulfilled by Jesus. So partway into verse 19, you will do well to pay attention to it, the Old Testament scriptures. Pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The same word which shone forward in history to show us the coming life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, shines past those events 
to where we stand now and beyond us to his return. It shows us the day when Jesus returns, the day when the true morning star comes, when we see him and the joy of glimpsing him gives way to fully seeing him. And our hearts are filled when we see our God and Savior. Now, we wait for that day. At one level, we wait in gloom and darkness. The world we live in is a gloomy world corrupted by sin. Our own hearts have not entirely escaped the corruption of sinful desire. At one level, we wait in gloomy darkness. But the light shines. It shines as God speaks. It shines in the Bible God speaks to us. Verse 20, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Read the Old Testament, man spoke. Uh, We can see their experience and hear their personalities in what they wrote. They spoke what they saw. They spoke what they saw in front of them. They spoke what what they saw in visions God gave them. But it was never only their interpretation of what they saw. It was never only their interpretation of what they saw. It was never limited by their intelligence or insight or understanding. They spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Just as surely as that voice was carried from God in heaven to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit, so they spoke from God. Their words are God's words. God speaks their words to us. Now, when Peter spoke, God had already been speaking in the Old Testament for centuries. Centuries of saying that he would send his son to save. Our privilege is to stand at a point of history where we see those absolutely reliable words already fulfilled in his son, our Savior. The words have been more fully confirmed. It's a privilege to be where we are. And those words still speak. They still look forward to the rest. And so we look with clearer confidence that the day when Jesus returns will come. Because the God who said that Jesus would come and do what Jesus has done has said what, that, what has not says to us still there's more that Jesus will do. And so we can have greater confidence. God speaks the words of the Old Testament and he speaks the words of the New Testament to us. People like Peter and the other apostles and, and the Asian prophets, they speak. And their words are reliable. They tell us what, they tell it as they saw it. They're talking about what happened in history. But they're not just telling us their opinion, their interpretation, their understanding of what they saw. They tell it as the Holy Spirit enables them to tell it. They're carried by him so that they speak God's word to us. Or God speaks their words to us. 
None of us had the privilege of seeing the divine majesty of Jesus with our eyes, being there and hearing God uh, speak to Jesus when he was transfigured. But God's voice about his son has been carried to us. He speaks the words of the prophets and the apostles to us. Though we don't yet see Jesus face to face, we see him in his scriptures. The light of God's word shows us the exalted son who suffered for us, who is raised and who will return. In the darkness and distraction of this life, we need the light of God's word, which centers on his son. And this is how we know and experience knowing Jesus. It's as we hear and are reminded of and recall and remember and trust the words that God speaks to us about the Lord Jesus and then lean into him as if that's true. Because we're completely convinced it is true. We relate to Jesus by treating him as if he is who God says he is. Because we have every reason to believe he is. You could say similar things about how we relate to God as Father, how we relate to the Holy Spirit. It's as we hear the scriptures speak and show us uh, who they are, what they've done, what they're doing, that we lean in and trust But Peter's focus in this chapter is on us knowing and experiencing knowing the Lord Jesus. It's in the, it's in that knowledge that God, that knowledge of Jesus, where we know about him and we know him, we trust him, that God provides for our progress. God provides for our progress in our knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus, leaning into who he is, what he's done, is doing, will do. So stand in the light of God's word. Pay careful attention to the light that shows you Jesus as he truly is. Keep coming back to the Bible to be reminded and corrected. Be glad when you hear the same things again. Keep coming back to see Jesus more clearly and then lean in and trust the glorious Son who suffered to bring forgiveness, who is raised to rule, who will return to judge and to bring you safely home. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would grow our confidence based on evidence and reality in the truth and goodness of your word. Please do help us to see the reliability of your prophets and apostles. Please, Father, cause us to have that um, deeper confidence and growing confidence in those words that you speak by your Spirit. Please keep us coming back to your word as the light that we desperately need in a dark and gloomy world so that rather than being distracted and occupied by everything else, that we would see Jesus clearly, that would lean in and trust your glorious Son, 
who suffered for us to bring forgiveness, who's raised and ruling, and who will return to bring us safely home. That's in him that we pray. Amen.